Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. In Canada, all week we've been talking about Justin Trudeau, self-described feminist, who went along with three of his female caucus colleagues and members of parliament, including a cabinet minister, being required to enter an Ottawa mosque through the side door and stand segregated from the prime minister and men at the mosque, Trudeau said at the time, quote, diversity is a source of strength, not just a source of weakness. And as I look at this beautiful room, sisters upstairs, end quote, he went on. How do the three women liberal MPs feel about that? I have two guests to get us started. Dr. Zudi Jasser has been a frequent contributor to this program. We're very fortunate to have him join us. The founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, the author of Battle for the Soul of Islam, a former United States Navy lieutenant commander and past president of the Arizona Medical Association. Zudi, thank you so much for the time. No, thank you, Roy. It's always great to be with you. And joining us for the first time is Azra Nomani, former Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, I think, Azra, it says you're self-defined as a liberal, which is okay, (laughs) and, and author of Standing Alone, An American Woman's Struggle for the Soul of Islam. Thank you, Azra, for joining us. Oh, thanks for the invitation. Let me start with what we were going to speak about, and that's uh, Justin Trudeau's visit to the mosque. Then we'll get to the issue of the New York bombing and what's been said and not said and implied uh, in the last hours. When the prime minister went to the mosque, Zudi, and and required the female members of his caucus to enter through the side door and then stand in a segregated manner from the men and said diversity is a source of strength, not just a source of weakness— and as I look at this beautiful room, sisters upstairs, what's your reaction to that? You know, I have to tell you, and it, you can't help but think of there's this bigotry, this deep bigotry of low expectations where the sisters upstairs somehow, and even when they were pushed on it, his administration responded and said, well, we have to respect tradition. And uh, no, there's universal human rights, there's universal values that uh, we we often uh, defend to the death as those who believe in freedom and liberty. And Trudeau and others on the left will lecture so many communities on uh, the issues of equality and other things. And then when it comes to Muslims, he talks about the sisters upstairs as if he's talking about human beings that are less than equals, not to mention, do they not deserve representation? And why would he tolerate visiting that mosque? And it's because I think they look upon Muslims as having sort of lesser values and being different communities that they can talk down to and not expect the same type of values. And President Obama did the same thing, and Ezra can speak to their demonstration when Obama went to a mosque in Baltimore last February, similarly. But that mosque was a little more dishonest and savvy. They usually separate men and women, but when Obama went in, they they had them mixed and pretended to be equal. And then once, once Obama left, they put the curtain back up and went back to their normal misogyny. Ezra, as you... Um read about, heard about the situation in uh, in Ottawa, the mosque. What was your reaction to uh, what the prime minister did and what he said? Yeah, you know, uh, you notice that in Zudi's title and in my book title, we both say that we're in a struggle for the soul of Islam. And that's, in fact, where we're at today in the 21st century. Prime Minister Trudeau taking a stand uh, normalizing and accepting and validating the sisters upstairs is a step back for us in our Muslim reform movement. It's a it's a real slap to those of us who are fighting for the same type of values that he supposedly embraces. 
And so it's really ironic for me because I really feel sometimes that the human rights that we've come to fight and cherish in the West are, just as Udi said, unattainable for us in our Muslim communities because they decide that, in fact, we're not uh, worthy of it. We're, uh, it's not something that's from our history or our background. But, in fact, you know, you, what you have here is Zudi and myself uh, both standing up from within our community saying, no, this kind of misogyny doesn't represent the type of Islam in which we believe. And what is so ironic is it was not even the Islam of the 7th century. In the 7th century, men and women prayed in the same halls. And what we are seeing here is just the importation of these Salafi, Wahhabi ideas that gender segregation is the norm in our society. And so for Prime Minister Trudeau to enable it is, is really uh, is a, a real tragedy. I just can't decide whether I want my next band to be called The Sisters Upstairs or if I should make it my next book. Well, uh, either way, I'm sure you'd uh, generate a lot of interest. Now, when it comes to politicians, Western politicians, whether it's North American Western politicians or European Western politicians, liberal politicians, and increasingly conservative politicians, I have the sense they don't know what to say when it comes to anything that has to do with Islam, when it comes to anything that has to do with Muslims, they don't know what to say. They search for the right thing to say, always hoping they won't offend anyone, and eventually troubling, I think, everyone, Azra. Well, I think that I actually attribute um, uh, a decision on their part to this. I, I don't, um, I, for a while I thought that they were just, you know, confused and unclear about things, but We've done enough education that they're, they're, they have made a choice. They've made a choice to stand on the incorrect side of history. And, you know, it's our duty, all of us, to stand up with moral courage in all of our, uh, you know, areas of political spectrum to stand up for moderate, uh, you know, compassionate view of how human beings can exist in this world. And, and we can't accept anybody you know, throwing that out as values. And, and so I believe that they have made a decision to cater to the lobby that Zudi has uh, educated me a lot about, in fact, on from the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, from Qatar, from Saudi Arabia, even Iran, a lot of money coming from there. And they've made a decision to be in bed with those folks. And we have to say, as people of conscience, that's not acceptable. And we want to see a different paradigm. We want to see a new reality. America had to do this. The West had to do this on the issue of South Africa. We've had to do it on so many difficult topics of global values. And we have to do it today. And, and as just regular people push back every time these folks make a decision that's on the incorrect side of history and, and get them on the right side of history. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. With me now, Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, who is uh, one of our beauties in the Beauties on the Beast segment on Saturdays on this show, and former uh, Liberal Member of Parliament, former seatmate to uh, Justin Trudeau. And Michelle and I were trading emails during the week about the situation at the Ottawa Mosque with the three women Liberal Members of Parliament being required to enter the mosque through the side door. And, uh, and then stand segregated from the men 
with the Prime Minister talking about the sisters upstairs. And, Michelle, you uh, you informed me that you had experienced um, a situation which made you uncomfortable while you were campaigning for uh, to be a Liberal MP. Absolutely, Roy. In 2008, um, I, you know, you do go out to places of worship, to community centers. And, you know, I had three mosques in my riding, two of which, you know, were a lot more progressive, a lot more inclusive, warm, very welcoming to women. And the third one, uh, not so much. And it was... It, 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 you know, it might be too strong a word to say humiliating, but that's how I felt. I ended up going to this. At, you know, I got the invitation, well, my campaign got the invitation to go to a mosque that was extremely fundamentalist, um, not friendly towards women. And, of course, being a woman, a female candidate, I knew all about the headscarves, the whatever. They walked by me like I was invisible. And the imam of that particular mosque was an extremely aggressive and controversial figure in the community. And I, I was humiliated because, I, you know, I was totally ignored. Like, it's one thing to be a female, you know, there, but a female candidate was not on for, you know, a lot of these worshippers. So, it you know, and I was, uh, you know, segregated, went through a separate door, and I vowed I would never do that again. So as you saw what happened on Monday... Yeah. At the mosque in Ottawa, and you heard the Prime Minister, your former seatmate, Liberal Party, um, speak the words he spoke, and then saying the sisters upstairs, clearly, sounds to me like the Prime Minister, was endorsing a segregated presence at that time, at least, at that mosque. What do you suppose the reaction was of the three women MPs? You know, I'm not entirely sure, because I, you know... You may get a lot of emails about what I'm saying because it, it could be interpreted as being, you know, um, anti-Islam, you know, I don't really and truly. I, I don't hear and that. And it isn't. It has nothing to do with that. And, you know, everybody kind of clams up, you know, when it comes to saying, you know what, I really don't like that. You, you don't, I'm sorry, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what you said. You really don't like... I, I really don't like the segregation. I see. You know, I really don't like that. And it's something I'm not necessarily going to want to participate in, just by virtue of how it makes me feel. Well, this is why we have to talk about the issues that matter, and this is why we have to talk to the people to whom the moments have happened. It's it's one thing to sit on the periphery and cheer or boo, which most people do. That's you know we're like fans; we get a ticket, we yeah. go to the game, we cheer, we boo, we have our favorite team. I'm being very simplistic when I say that, but let's just bring it down to the most common denominator. the uh, The fact, though, is, and I'm going to insist on this. 
that we make progress only when we speak about the things that are uncomfortable and we speak to each other and we have an open mind about the issues that we're talking about and we share our experiences and from that we learn by shouting at each other I we learn nothing I absolutely agree Roy but you know what you do get shouted down and that's where the fear the politicians you know they're walking on eggshells and they're you know like they're like the flying Melendez <laughs> I'm gonna walk a tightrope and hopefully I won't misstep but I think there has to be an honest discussion, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. That doesn't make you a racist. That doesn't make no. you anything. Just because somebody hurls a label at you doesn't mean you have to accept it. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. That's two days we don't pay you. It's a pleasure. We have, we have this great pay scale for all our guests. Zeros, all zeros. Six figure, but all zeros. But we love it. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Okay. Bye-bye. Michelle Simpson, former Liberal MP and uh, former seatmate to the Prime Minister, the current Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Really, we have to talk to each other about the issues that matter. These are the issues that you talk to each other about in uh, on social media. Probably have more discussion, more open and uh, and honest. Some of it is pretty uh, can be pretty nasty, but. There's more. I think there's more honesty on social media than there is in most conversation that takes place where people are face-to-face. Well, here we are voice-to-voice, and we have this forum, and we can take advantage of it. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. In Switzerland, you know how it goes. We've talked about it many times on this program. It's one of these wonderful processes they have. It's called democracy. Democracy. Where the people lead the government as opposed to the other way around. Where the people make the decisions and the federal government has to follow the decisions the people make. It has to do with regularly scheduled referenda. Three or four times a year, the Swiss people decide for themselves what it is their government is going to do at their behest. And the Swiss People's Party, they have a presence in government... And we'll be talking to their vice president in the next hour, a member of the Swiss parliament. By the way, the founder of the Swiss People's Party was attacked uh, by a knife wielder yesterday. Um, The Swiss People's Party put forward a question that was on the referendum ballot. And the question was, are you in favor, now this is to Swiss citizens, are you in favor to end mass immigration to Switzerland? And a majority of the people who responded, not all the Swiss people go and bother to get, you know, get involved with the referendum, just like us. We have a lousy 60% who decide to vote in federal elections, and it's just no way to properly represent what the, the, you know, the real will of the people is. But if you won't vote, that's a discussion for another day. But a majority of the Swiss people who voted on the referendum that day decided that they would vote for ending mass immigration to the Alpine country where I was born. And the European Union ain't happy. There's 230,000 people who cross into Switzerland every day from European Union countries just to go to work. So the EU is not happy and the Swiss people don't care. Trust me, Swiss are hardy people. It's half my heritage. They don't care. 
Make a decision. Done. Want to keep debating it? Forget it. They've also turned down many, many, many referenda suggestions. So I'm thinking that if Dr. Kelly Leach is a member of the Canadian Parliament and a member of the Conservative Party of Canada, the Conservative Party caucus, former cabinet minister in the Harper government, Dr. Leach, if, 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 if we had a system in this country, and I don't know how you feel about it, but if we had a system in this country where we had actually annual referenda, which would only be placed on the ballot if a sufficient percentage of Canadians felt they deserved to be there, and then were voted on by the population, and the population uh, would hold sway over government. In other words, we by majority say, this is what we want, so you, the government, have to follow our lead. If that were the case, you could potentially take your program, your platform, uh, to establish whether newcomers to Canada have Canadian values or support Canadian values or not. You could take it to Canadians, and by majority, they could decide. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I think it's an interesting uh, proposition, uh, Roy, and I think that Canadians uh, would enjoy having that referendum because, as I've been hearing across the country, the, the supermajority of Canadians agree from coast to coast that this is an issue they want to talk about. They want to talk about having a core, unified identity as Canadians and about Canadian values. And I I appreciate you raising this because it also lets me tell you about something I'm concerned about. And that concern is that, you know, our Prime Minister stated that there is no core identity, that the Canada has no core identity. And I believe that Prime Minister is mistaken and is playing a dangerous game by denying a unified Canadian identity based on Canadian values. You know, the Liberals are increasing immigration levels for refugees and, uh, and regular immigrants. And I think more immigration is fabulous. It's part of what's built our country. I'm pro-immigrant. But they have the immigration minister talking about divisions amongst liberals themselves on this issue and, and talking about integration. And quite frankly, how can you talk about integration when you don't know what you're integrating new immigrants into? If the PM believes there's no core Canadian identity then what exactly are we integrating new immigrants into? So uh, I hear every day from Canadians about the existence of a unified Canadian identity based on core values, and I believe those values are what has made us the greatest country in the world to live in, the reason why people want to come here. And you can't integrate someone who believes that women are property or, or gay should be stoned. You just simply cannot integrate that person. That's what I'm talking about. And... Uh, we have real solid Canadian values, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation about the unified Canadian identity. Well, it's definitely a conversation people want to have, and you know that, mm -hmm. and I know that, because I do this for a living, talk radio, <laughs> and I've been hearing this populist rumble for years now. It's just gotten really loud recently, and we saw it on uh, in, in full display in the Brexit vote, and then try to say, mm -hmm. well, it was only the old people who decided, or it was only the people over here who wanted that. It's only those people. So they tried to try to um, inject all sort of negatives, but the final number was, we want out of the EU, and that was the referendum process. We've used it in this country. The Charlottetown Accord, was that not a decision referendum? made by... <laughs> by Canadians? What about last, wasn't it last year? Didn't we have an election? Wasn't that a referendum? By Canadians. By Canadians. Choices. So what am I supposed to object to here? I, what, what's wrong with what you're suggesting? Brian Mulrooney doesn't like it. Kevin O'Leary has written you off. What am, I supposed to, what am I supposed to object to here? 
look, uh, Mr. Mulroney can have his opinion, Mr. O'Leary can have his, but I have mine, and I think uh, I sound like the majority of Canadians, which is we want to have this conversation. We want to have this conversation about what it means to be Canadian, our core Canadian identity. And as I say, it's it's disturbing to me that the Prime Minister stated that there is no core identity to this country. I believe there is. And I think that we should be having that robust discussion with Canadians. They want to have it. They've overwhelmingly talked about it. You know, and, and as I say, we, we then, on the other hand, have the Liberals talking about, in the case of the immigration minister, integration. And I don't know what they want to integrate immigration immigrants into when they don't have any core Canadian identity. Um, you can't integrate a, a person who... Uh, believes in uh, their their wife is a piece of property into uh, into anything if you don't believe in anything so are, are you I'm are you are, to the conversation dr leach are you aiming this in muslims not at all you know uh, this is nothing to do with being anti-muslim this is everything to do with what we are as canadians people who care about a core identity with certain values that have made our country what it is today and one of those core values is religious freedom you know, I'm pleased to live in a country where freedom of worship is one sees fit, so long as each chooses that form of worship freely, is a core Canadian value, and it ought to be celebrated. And for the Prime Minister to deny that we have a value structure here, I think is dangerous. You know, whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, here in Canada, you can freely worship. Women can choose to attend mosques freely in Canada to worship the religion they choose, follow their customs and beliefs, and but, but how would it, how, how would your how would your plan work? So you know, somebody wants to come into the country. Somebody's doing all the right things, following all the procedures to get into the country legally. Now, where does your where does your uh, your 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 process, your plan, your policy kick in, and how does it work? Well, I, I've been asked this question a fair amount, and I will get to talking about the process. Uh, Right now, though, we've heard that the government has a new plan for immigration. I'm looking forward to seeing the details on that. And I think along with my fellow conservatives and fellow Canadians, we're looking forward to welcoming new citizens into the country so that we can all work together to build a, a better and bright future. But, but, you, but you have a, but you have a plan. But you have a plan, exactly. Dr. Leach. Shouldn't you have the application of that plan in place? Yeah, and so what I'm doing right now is I'm out talking with folks. We, we're putting together We have a, a process that we'll be announcing but I'm waiting to see what the Liberals will be bringing forward, their new plan for immigration, so that I can test against that. And then whether it be November or December, I'm not sure when the Liberals are coming forward with their plan. We'll come forward with our process okay. shortly after that. Now, you're, you, know, you know you're going to be called a racist if you haven't already. Scott Reed in his Ottawa Citizen column wrote that your screening of newcomers for Canadian values, quote, she is waltzing into a moral swamp where raw prejudice is normalized and bigotry can hide in plain sight. End of quote. You know, Premiers Wynne and Couillard of Ontario and Quebec last year suggested any Canadians who questioned the screening methodology for Syrian refugees by the federal government were racist. That earned Wynne an instant and stern rebuke from uh, Ujal Dossange, the former liberal premier of British Columbia, who's, a, who's a, an immigrant himself. And as far as uh, um, uh, Scott Reed is concerned, he once said of Canadians... I think when Prime Minister Harper uh, said you'd get $100 uh, per month per child, you give that to Canadian parents, they'll just blow it on popcorn and beer. So talk about having some uh, weird weird, weird uh, view of life. But 
Oh, look, I, I, I understand the compulsion of some people to call me names or put me in a certain, paint me in a certain way. But it's just simply not true. And it's not fair. The fact of the matter is, is that... No, but, but you know, we're in the, we, we, but we live in an era where, Dr. Leach, we live in an era where throwing labels at people is just the way they do things. It's the way it's done now. It's, well, it's easy. <laughs> I appreciate that it may be easy, and that's why I'm going to keep talking about this item, a unified Canadian identity yeah. and Canadian values because Canadians care about it. I, and I care about it. You know, with the support of people like yourself and others, that we will punch through and the Canadians will engage in this dialogue, which is so essential to the country. You know, it's, I have a fundamentally different approach to this. I believe as a Canadian that we have a core identity and that's fundamentally different than the prime minister of our country. You know, he believes that we don't have a core identity. Well, and this I is 100% guy, think that's false. This is a guy who refused to attend the 15th anniversary ceremonies for 9-11 at Gander, Newfoundland, where wounded warriors, Canada, were beneficiaries, where family members of Canadians murdered at the World Trade Center on 9-11 were present, where motorcyclists from New York City brought a piece of steel from the World Trade Center for the people of Gander, who showed real Canadian values and de- generosity and identity of spirit on that's 9-11. Good. So this is the Prime Minister who decided to... A little release, you know. We got one of the speechwriters to scribble a few things. That was good enough. Not good enough. Um, Dr. Leach, it's going to be very interesting to find out how this all develops. I, I'd like to have you back on the program and speak in, in more detail because the application of your policy is important. But I, we'll wait We'll wait until you give us that. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, and thank you very much for having me on your show. It's, uh, I know you were, on, you were on, on with Alex uh, last weekend yeah. as well. She's terrific. Thank you, Dr. Leach. Thank you for having me. All the best. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Tony Clement has run for office and uh, been successful provincially in Ontario, was a cabinet minister in the Mike Harris government and uh, Ernie Eves governments as well, and uh, in Stephen Harper's federal government of Canada, senior cabinet minister. He's now running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he's courting controversy by calling for the jailing of individuals in Canada deemed to be a terror threat who cannot be monitored because of a shortage of personnel to do so. Mr. Clement also this week accused the head of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, of spouting left-wing ideology. How could you do that, Tony? (laughs) Well, I guess I did. (laughs) I never would have expected that from you. Um, well, you know, she, uh, she went off the she went off the deep end there. So she did. She did. I, like, look, look, I I'm just having a little fun because I've known you for a long time. We haven't talked for a long time. Very serious issue, though. It's a very important issue, and that is, what do you do if somebody poses a potential terror threat to this country and to Canadians, and we don't have the sufficient number of security personnel to supervise them, to watch them, to monitor them? We saw what happened in an Ontario uh, town not so long ago. So walk us through what you're suggesting, please. How does it work? Well, sure, Roy. I'd be happy to talk about uh, a plan I announced uh, just last week uh, as part of my platform as for leader, running for leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And I thought uh, the day after 9-11 anniversary would be appropriate to talk about how we can combat terror uh, both uh, raised at home as well as coming from abroad. So it's a quite a comprehensive plan. It's based on best practices around the world as well as uh, 
two Senate committee reports that heard from anti-terror uh, experts as well as uh, uh, those, uh, you know, legal experts and that kind of thing. So it is a 10-point plan, but uh, I was asked the question, you know, what do you do about the case of uh, Aaron Driver in Strathroy, Ontario, who was on a peace bond when he was busy plotting uh, a major terrorist act. And I said, look, if we do not have the personnel, if it's, you know, and it takes a lot of personnel to monitor somebody 24-7. I, I've been told it takes between 20 and 25 and 30 uh, security personnel to monitor 24-7. Then uh, if we've got a reasonable case that can be made before a judge that uh, this person is going to be involved in terror activity, if we can't monitor this person at their home, we got to incarcerate them. I didn't think that was particularly uh, egregious or controversial, but there has been some controversy about it. But we've got to protect society, and, uh, and we've got to do so legally and within our Constitution. I get all that. But we've got to find a way to protect our society from these terrorists. Well, it's not an unreasonable expectation uh, that, that, that this be done. And I've heard the numbers quoted that there just aren't enough security personnel to be able to watch 24 hours a day the people who are considered to be a potential terror threat in this country. So you have to do something. You're suggesting jailing them, but are you suggesting jailing them for an indeterminate period of time? When does it kick in? How long is it in place, Tony? Yeah, it has to be, uh, look, you have to convince the judge on an ongoing basis that the person is a terrorist threat likely to commit the, commit an act of violence and terrorism. So it, it, there's, always, there's always got to be constitutional safeguards. But I don't know what the alternative is, Roy. The alternative is not uh, surveilling people who are busy plotting terrorist acts. Surely that's more unreasonable than the solution that I'm offering. Yeah. See, I got into an argument, not well, a debate that turned into a little bit of an argument, over password, uh, having access to somebody's password. If a person is yeah. plotting a terror terrorist act and, and, and all the details are behind somebody's password, uh, on online, I want to have access to that password. I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think what you're suggesting is unreasonable. Yeah, and look, you can't, you can't sort of, uh, as a security official, you can't wake up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and decide to invade everybody's passwords. There is, there's got to be a judicial. No, there'd have to be, a, there'd have to be a judge or somebody would have to sign off on yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Just like a warrant, Roy. Just like a warrant. Yeah. We do that all the time on security cases and. Uh, and when they're investigating uh, possible crimes. So I don't think it's too much to ask that we also do so in this case as well. So how's it been received? Because I've, you know, I've read the, um, the expected response from left-leaning um, members of our national media and left-leaning uh, politicians and, and social members of the social commentariat. Uh, yeah. How well has it been received among just the folks well, the party members uh, are very, very positive on it. I, uh, we had a, a conservative caucus meeting in Halifax last week. Uh, my colleagues were very much in favor of it. They felt it was a reasonable proposition. And they also felt that I was really uh, going after the real issue. I mean, we've, we've been having this values debate, as you referenced, in our party. Uh, and people have come up to me and said, look, you know, recently where the robbery hits the road is and then act on those thoughts in a violent way, creating terrorist acts in our society. And that's yeah, well, what people... If I had any idea what you were saying. Uh, the, unfortunately, we have one of those techno-garble moments on your on your mobile phone, Tony. 
Oh, uh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Everybody says that, right? When when so the phone doesn't work, say sorry. Can you hear me now? <laughs> we all do that. Yeah. yeah, I can hear you. What what is another? Give me one other thing. We only have about a minute here, Tony. What is another aspect of your platform that you're putting forward, which would make Tony Clement? an appealing successor to Stephen Harper as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and potentially the next prime minister of this country in 2019? Well, look, uh, we're, uh, I'm going to be rolling out a lot of different policies over the next uh, little while, including, uh, obviously, on uh, jobs, the economy, innovation, those kinds of things. So, uh, so that, that is going to be part of my platform, how to create more jobs, how to keep taxes low, how to make sure that our economy is moving, You'll be hearing from me in the weeks and months ahead on this. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, we need a three-point plan to defeat Mr. Trio in 2019. We need to have good conservative policies that are distinct and different from what Mr. Trudeau is offering. We need to overhaul our party oper- apparatus so that we can, uh, we can win again using modern can- campaign techniques. And finally, we need someone with experience. And I-, I believe after 16 years of cabinet experience provincially and federally, a little bit of gray hair, Roy. I think you've, you've seen me in person. You know I've got a little bit of gray hair. But maybe after another three years of Mr. Tax and Spend Trudeau, uh, a little bit of gray hair, a little bit of experience, ready to govern is exactly what the doctor ordered. Well, I got to say this about you, and um, it's it's honestly offered. Uh, when we had um, a, uh, a serious health emergency in this country, what was the name of that thing? That I'm SARS. Just, that's it. When we had the SARS emergency in Canada, and it was a huge issue. Our prime minister of the time, Jean Chrétien, disappeared somewhere in the south on vacation, and he said he wasn't coming back. Wasn't I think that's what it was. He wasn't coming back. You, Tony Clement, you did a tremendous job handling the SARS crisis from the health minister's perspective in the province of Ontario. I've never forgotten that. You did a great job, Tony. Well, thank you for remembering, and uh, it's uh, we had some great uh, medical professionals, doctors. Yeah, but you did a great job. Take a bow. We all we take all a, work together. Take Thanks. a bow. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. All right, all of that's right. You're listening to the Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. There's a book I'm looking forward to. It's going to be published on the 22nd of November. Very much looking forward to Ford Nation: Two Brothers, One Vision, the True Story of the People's Mayor, written by Doug and Rob Ford. And Doug Ford joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, Doug, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the book. Uh, and you and Rob worked on this together. How, when did you start? Well, we started uh, probably about a year ago. Uh, Roy, Rob, uh, and I uh, talked to Harper Collins, which is a phenomenal company, one of the largest uh, publishers in the in the world, and and uh, we embarked uh, back then. Unfortunately, Rob wasn't able to uh, have as much input as we wanted because of his, his illness, but uh, I, I told him I'll carry on. He wanted me to carry on and, and tell uh, uh, our story. And this is really going to be focused, Roy, for the most part on Bob, but it does tell a little bit about our family growing up, myself, and and then we kind of uh, get into Rob's uh, morality. You know, uh, you've said, and I can, only, I can only imagine it must have been a quite an emotional ride to... Uh, to write this book when Rob was working with you and then when you were working on your own um, uh, putting putting it uh, together but you said you call you will call out people uh, people who were drinking doing drugs but were went unscathed and untouched and you say media knew and kept their focus off other people 
who were bending the rules and maybe the law while they were attacking uh, your brother Rob and you and the Ford family. Talk to us a bit about that. Um, is it, I don't want to use the word get even book, but how would you describe what you're going to do? Well, just uh, get the truth out. We don't uh, think about getting even, and uh, we're we're just going to uh, get the truth out and call the same uh, usual suspects out in the media. And I can't, I'm not going to paint uh, the media with a broad brush because that's not the case. There's some good media out there, and then there's some vindictive, vicious uh, media, and one being the Toronto Star. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're nasty son of a guns, and uh, they, they chased us around. Uh, followed us around, uh, went down to Florida, went down to my Chicago plane, went down to New Jersey. Uh, just uh, they were basically, uh, I felt like they were stalking us. So we're, we're going to give our point of view, and and we don't hold back on on uh, when Mob had his issues. We were pretty clear and transparent on that throughout the book, and and uh, we just want to tell our our side of the story. Yeah, I got a feeling when I read the book, I'm not going to have to go to the dictionary and try to figure out what you're telling me. I, I think it's going to be very straightforward, and I'm not I'm not suggesting it's going to be not going to be clever. I'm just going to understand what you're saying about whom you're saying it. Now, Doug, if we talk about some of the people in the political arena, some of them who are still active now, who will want to continue to be active in the political arena, were not very kind to your brother. They weren't certainly weren't kind to your family. Who stands out particularly? Uh... Well, not, no, no one person in particular. Um, you know, a lot of them were throwing, uh, I say not stones, but boulders in a glass house. Uh, they, they've had issues, and and they're very hypocritical. Um, but in, in saying that, it's the world of politics, and uh, it's the nastiest uh, game you could ever get in, uh, and it's right across the board. So uh, you're, you're in there for the right reasons, and we pointed out all the reasons in the book and our accomplishments and you're there to help the people and there's a there's a price to pay when you, you knock down the door i always say roy the first through the door gets bloodied a little bit when you want to make a change so we made uh, some uh, massive positive changes in in the city and uh we balanced the books had a surplus we're ranked number one in the world to work and number two in the world to live and we, we turned the city around and we did it in rapid fashion you know and you had and you continue to have, and this is important, a core of very loyal supporters and friends, a core of loyal supporters and friends who have not turned their backs on you, who will not turn their backs on the Ford family, no matter how much they're um, uh, you know, urged to do so. But as I'm thinking about your book coming out, you, you have you're thinking about getting back into politics, right? I am. One day in, in the next uh, year or so, I have to make a decision, and and uh, right now I'm, I just want to focus uh, a little bit on uh, the business and a lot on Rob's kids. Actually, it's uh, little Dougie's birthday, Rob's uh, son. Now, happy today, birthday. I'm heading off to his, his birthday party, and we're going to have a, a good time. So I want to focus uh, on the family, and uh, then, then we'll look into uh, politics. Okay, so I'm thinking about the book now. The conventional wisdom is... Don't burn your bridges before you get to them. Um, are you going to, uh, I mean, you're going to take people on and call them out for what they, in, in, in your view and your brother's view and the Ford family's view, did to you that was unfair, inappropriate, and uh, dishonest. Yeah, that, that's a small part of the book. We really want to focus on the story and and uh, interesting stories that no one's ever heard uh, before. and. I was I was kind of doing the proofreading even up to last night, and I, I couldn't 
I couldn't put the book down, and it was our writing. So I, I thought, man, every every chapter is action and more action and more action, but it's it's honest in, in the way we saw things, and uh, a lot of people may disagree, but it depends on uh, what lens you're it's looking at. It's your story. Yeah. It's your story. That's what it is. Can you share one incident with us that we'll find out about in the book? Well, I, I, I unfortunately, I, I, I can't, but it's just the... Uh, you know, when when we first went into office and, and uh, some of the hurdles, but uh, a lot of the accomplishments and the challenges Rob faced uh, when he faced issues. So we're, we're going to get in, into all that, and uh, we're going to talk about the family, our values growing up. And uh, when anyone needs help uh, at all, Roy, they know they can call us. I was returning constituents' calls today in my office. I have a whole raft of them, and uh, they know they can, they can call no matter what issue it is. Yeah, must have been cathartic for you, in a way. Difficult, painful, yep. but also cathartic to write, to put on, to put on paper, the words and and tell the stories, uh, with your brother, and then uh, carrying on by yourself with the book. It uh, had to be quite an emotional roller coaster ride for you. Well, it it was because you remember a lot of a lot of things, and I just got to stay positive because I. I know we did a great job. They can never uh, criticize our record. They, they can criticize us personally, but uh, we have an outstanding uh, uh, fiscal record. And unfortunately, I, I, I was sitting there with Mike Delgran, the budget chief that uh, served under Rob, and we were reminiscing yesterday over a coffee, and it was so disappointing, the hard work he put in, the hard work uh, the administration put in to balance the books, to have a surplus, and now they're just... Uh, they're, they're back in the hole again. They're on a financial cliff uh, waiting to go over the edge, and it's a, a financial disaster again. So it's just uh, reckless spending and disrespect to the taxpayers. And then, and then there's the prime minister, but <laughs> more about that another day. So the book is coming out on November the 22nd, Fort Nation, Two Brothers, One Vision, the true story of the People's Mayor, written by Doug and Rob Ford. Doug, thank you for the time. I'm looking forward to reading the book. Thanks so much, Roy, and all the best. All the best to you. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Switzerland, that's where I was born. So why don't you still have a Swiss accent? How do you know I don't? Um, Why don't you still have a Swiss accent? Well, 23% of the population of Switzerland is made up by foreigners. Net immigration is 1% of the nation's population, three times more than that of Germany, proportionally. And according to the European Union, 230,000 foreign citizens cross the border to work in Switzerland every day. In 2009, the Swiss People's Party launched a national referendum initiative. Um, I'm sorry, in 2010, they, they launched a national initiative to expel criminal foreigners... I remember we talked about that. They won with 52% of the national vote. And if you win the referendum process in Switzerland, in case you're just joining us, we've talked about this many times, but it's worth repeating. Three or four times a year, there are referenda in Switzerland that are driven by the people, and they go on a ballot, and then the Swiss people decide whether they want to adopt or reject the referendum initiative. And if the majority of Swiss people voting that particular day on that particular initiative decide they want it, then the federal government of Switzerland has no choice but to make it law constitutionally. They, they must. If a majority of Swiss people say, no, we don't want this, then it's just gone. 
It can be brought back at a later date, but it doesn't pass at that particular time. So, uh, in 2010, Swiss People's Party started the initiative to expel criminal foreigners. They won with 52% of the national vote. And in 2014, the, Swiss, the font is so small here, the Swiss People's Party uh, national initiative, quote, against mass immigration was also successful with 50.3% of the national population supporting the initiative. Luzi Stamm is the vice president of the Swiss People's Party, and he said after the vote that Switzerland should have the right to control its own immigration. The European Commission on, uh, on these matters, n- not happy, they issued a statement that it was uh, disappointed, quote-unquote, in the Swiss decision on immigration. So what does the Swiss decision mean for Europe? And does it have implications for the rest of the Western world? Lucy Stamm joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So, uh, Lucy, people know that I was born in Switzerland. They want to know why I don't have a Swiss accent. You have a Swiss accent. So you'll do. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely do. Uh, unfortunately, my English is far away from being perfect. No, your English is great. Just great. Did I explain the referendum process properly? Totally okay. Totally perfect. Um, unfortunately... The Swiss political elite, even so the Swiss population decided we want to control the immigration, refuses to really um, put in motion what our people want. So I thought that according to the Swiss constitution, that it was uh, the responsibility of the federal government of Switzerland, the elites, to follow the will of the people. So if a majority of Swiss people say, we are against mass immigration then the government has the responsibility to do what the people say. How do they get around that? Um, Exactly. It's totally true what you say. But picture this. If Canada or the United States would say, the people, if they would have the right to say, okay, we want to control immigration, and the political leaders instead, they just let flow in everybody who wants to come, then you have a problem. Um, And that's exactly what happens here. The population said, we want to control, we want you to make strict laws, but the political elite doesn't react or so far has not reacted. So they've had two years, right? Um, even or more, 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 more years. years. And they have in Switzerland, very interesting, they have actually um, the law or the, the um, constitution which says until the 9th of February 2017... The controls have to be there, and the government just doesn't react. So isn't there in place punishment for members of the government who ignore the will of the people as it's constitutionally laid out? No, it's not possible. Um, um, In American terms, you could say we do not have the possibility to impeach if the the government does not react. the people just have to look um, at the situation, and they gave, um, they they get. Um, how should I say in English? Um, dissatisfied more and more and more. This certainly is perhaps comparable with what happens in the United States. It certainly is comparable what happens in Germany. You can see that people around the world get more dissatisfaction, and they are not not happy with their governments. No, I mean we saw it with Brexit. That is totally, totally understandable and totally clear. 
um, Brexit, the people in um, Great Britain, they are dis- dissatisfied that everybody can move into their country. I think it was mainly a decision about immigration. I'm speaking with Lucy Stamm. He's a vice president of the Swiss People's Party and a member of the Swiss federal government. Um, so, I, I, see, I don't understand it. I mean, I do understand, but I, I don't understand how they can get away with it. You have a constitution in place in Switzerland. It's been in place for eight or 900 years, right? Correct. A, a long time. Correct. So, and, and each year, there are referenda, questions that are put to the people of Switzerland that are created by the people of Switzerland and supported by the people of Switzerland and ultimately voted on by the people of Switzerland. And so then whatever the Swiss people vote, the government has the responsibility to enact. And in this case, they are ignoring the will of the people. How often does that happen, Lucy? Is this the first time or does that happen regularly? have relatively de- um, detailed examples where it has happened before. Like, um, um, I don't want to, to um, talk too long, but we had the example that the Swiss um, 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 voters said um, on certain um, criminal acts, you just have to send them to prison lifelong, um, um, totally clear. And our political elite um, said, um, under certain conditions, we don't do it. But I'm I'm too complicated now. Wow. The the, the most the most um, um, repulsive um, example is now the immigration. Well, that it's the it's. Time. I mean, it's disturbing when the when the, when, when you have a constitutional mechanism in place that gives the people the kind of power that people need to have in a democracy. And this is one of the oldest and best functioning democracies in the world four official languages, people get along, they understand one another, they have a, co- a combined objective, and now the government ignores them. So, Totally correct. And you could say, let's take the example of California with a relatively direct democracy. If people in California would say motor vehicles have to have these and these and these standards, right. and if the political elite doesn't do it, um, or w- would not do it, um, it, it, it would be negative enough. But if you have an example like immigration, it's much, much more um, um, what, what is it? Um, a scandal. Um, if you have the population which tells you you must not totally open the borders and the government just doesn't react, it's, 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 it's um, much more of a problem than it's just, um, if it's just this example of motor vehicles. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, Hector McMillan, do we have Hector? Yes, no? Yes? Hector, are you there? I'm here. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ontario Mayor battling pancreatic cancer. And, uh, well, I was away last week. Uh, what, I, what I went away with is information that you were going to be dealing with, uh, with, with OHIP and with the Ontario government, the premier, the health minister, their bureaucracy, uh, next Tuesday uh, for your IRE and nano knife surgery to remove the pancreatic cancer. Instead, I find out, heck, that um, things happen on Friday and, and, and now everything's changed. Please tell us what, what's going on. I'll tell you right now, Roy, there is no dealing with OHIP or the Health Services and Review Board. There's just no way you're going to make a deal with them. They got their mind made up, that's it. And the more you oppose them, 
the tougher they get. They now came up with this idea that they're going to object. So they have what they have. They've objected to my letter from my Ontario physician that's, that downgraded my stage of cancer to two, possibly three at the worst. And they were bringing in a second expert witness to testify against me. And they couldn't meet the dates of the, uh, the already pre-agreed upon um, hearing date. And it wasn't going to happen until the 29th of September. So they just keep putting you back, back, and back. <laughs> it's unbelievable. This, I can't believe our health system that we've, you know, I've cherished all my life, as, as many or most Ontarians have, is so cruel. It's just unbelievable, Roy. Hector McMillan is fighting for his life. He's fighting for his life, and he is fighting. He's fighting uh, declining health. He's fighting cancer. He's fighting. He shouldn't have to be fighting our government. He shouldn't have to be fighting a bureaucracy that is unhappy that he's gone public and shame them. And he's not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for all Ontarians who in this province develop pancreatic cancer and who need the IRE surgery, and then it's not available to them. And... Uh, with a sneer, they turn their backs on him. Uh, Joe Warmington, Toronto's son, uh, great, great columnist, great friend. Uh, Joe is responsible for making us aware of uh, Heck's story. It broke the first story. Seems like uh, a long time ago, Joe, but it's only been about four or five weeks, right? Yeah, and, and it's funny because that four or five weeks when you're healthy is one thing, and when you're not, it's a whole other thing. And yeah. I just want to say this now is that I'm crossing over from, you know, being a columnist and all of that to just letting it be known that if Hector doesn't make it through his surgery or, you know, if he doesn't make it through this, this horrible battle, uh, I will be laying a complaint with the OPP, uh, with the Homicide Squad. Uh, I would encourage uh, them to start putting a file together now and before the Liberal government starts killing the emails and all the things that they've done before, of just, you know, we need to see all the emails of all the players involved. Uh, at the end of this, there will be doctors that won't be practicing. There will be lawsuits, and, you know, we'll have maybe even a million people at, at Queen's Park if Hector doesn't make it. They don't really realize what they're playing with here. Uh, it's not just because Hector is a tough guy and obviously effective at what he does. It's about everybody else, all the other people, that they would turn around and want somebody dead because... They dare to speak up, and this is going to be before court, and uh, it will be a homicide trial. I'm not saying it's first-degree murder, but it is a criminal act to know that you can help somebody you know, be put in a position to do that, You know, whether it's police or fire or whatever, and then to turn around and, well, you know a lot about this, and then shirk that responsibility and also spit in the face of the person. That is a criminal act. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I'm not blowing smoke here. I mean, we've got the, the wording. We know the criminal code. But we're as close to experts at this as, as you can get, and you're going to see all this in the court. Hopefully we don't have to go there, though. Hector, I don't want to scare you because I know that you've got a big uh, a big battle coming with your surgery uh, if you decide to, to go out of country. But uh, they need to know this, that this is not going away if Hector dies, believe me. We're going to be coming, and we're going to be asking for criminal charges, etc. Joe, nothing scares me anymore. And I'm with you, brother, because, and I've, and I've already done some research, and at the very least, it's failure to provide the necessities of life. Yeah, it's, you know, it's there's, a, a, there's a duty, right? When you, when you sign on the oath to be a medical doctor or even just to, to be an administrator at a hospital, there, there are criminal code 
violations that, and the one thing is it's in that family that you just described. We have the equipment here to do it. We have the know-how. We have doctors that want to do it. We have uh, the money to do it. Uh, there are also all kinds of other options uh, to do it. But so, so they don't want to do it. That's one thing. That's a criminal act. But the other stuff that I'm very concerned about is the fact that they're pushing back and telling the guy to shut up, and they're not prepared to, you know, see it through. Roy, um, he hasn't told you, Hector hasn't mentioned this, but they've told him that they don't believe the two doctors that have said that his surgery, is, you know, could happen because his um, cancer is not at the level that they said it was at. So they said, okay, well, we need a test. He's prepared to take that test if they would do it tomorrow. Uh, he doesn't have any problem with that, but they've pushed it back and said, no, you're not getting any, any uh, special treatment. You can go and line up like everybody else, and it would take between six weeks and, and several months. And so, you know, this is, this is cruel, and uh, it's wrong. And, you know, it will be prosecuted because I know some people, and I'm going to be calling them. And uh, they're already, you know, they're already aware of it because they know what this is. You know, I, I, I was in... I was at the, the UHN, and Dr. Sean Cleary told me when I asked for the test, back on June the 22, he said, there's only two guys that can perform this test, and they don't have time to do it for you. Yeah, so that's a criminal, criminal act, because their oath is, so, you know, you've got that email. They, they better start killing emails. They're in real trouble here. Here's what they need to do. I mean, we're here to get outcomes. That's why yeah. we do what we do. Uh, I like everybody involved. I know that they're all good people in their own way, but they, Joe, they Joe, you're, going wrong. Joe, you're going to Joe, you're going to write about this, right? Oh yeah, I'm writing about you're it. You're writing. I'm sorry, I've been I've been away, so and I just this is my first weekend back. I'm just I'm just going to have to stop here because we've come to the end of the show, literally. And you know what happens with a network show? The, the system cuts us off. Heck, I'm going to I'm going to line up with Joe and line up with you. Okay. And I know you're going to Germany, and we'll stay in touch, and I'll let my listeners know as, uh, on, on email and on Twitter how things are going, and Joe will do it on The Sun, and I know AM640 in Toronto will do a terrific job as well. Heck, we're with you. I know you are, Roy, yep. and, and I've made a pledge to Ontarians that I will make this program happen for all Ontarians okay. and the thousand, the thousand okay. annual patients that deserve it. And Thank Joe, you, Heck. If something happens to me, avenge me, buddy. Get well. No, we want we want you to get well. Joe, thank you. Heck, thank you. Thank you. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.